Hey, Saraya, how's it going? Hey, Jeff, going well. Good, good. So here we are again with a new episode. Um, yeah. A new reissue, right? Yes, sir. So this is something that I know fans are really going to be happy with. Jeff, why don't you let our listeners know who we're talking with today? We will be talking with members of the Long Riders. Um, we'll be talking to Sid, Stephen, and Greg. Yes. Um, talking about this record, Native Sons, but not this version. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's no. a beautiful re-release uh, with lots of extra goodies um, on Cherry Red Records. Yes. And yeah. I think for fans, this is really uh, a wonderful contribution to the Long Rider catalog, and fans are going to want it. Yeah, absolutely. As we know, Soraya, they've been working with Cherry Red and some beautiful box sets that have already come out. Um, we're not sure. Yes, signed beautifully. Yes, and Tom signed in red down here. Oh, oh we miss that guy. That's awesome. Miss him, but so thankful that his contributions get to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he was pivotal on that release yes. for sure. Um, but um, weird that the debut record is now being reissued when we already have state of our union and two tales and um the filed wild, wild songs anthology release but we'll we'll ask about that because i'm curious why 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 we're going in this order but we're we're looking forward to having these three guys on to talk about this reissue of my favorite long riders record I think for a lot of people too, it's that very sentimental favorite, but also just such a pivotal record in their catalog. So Jeff, I say, let's get to it. Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agarubiar. Let's get groovy. All right. All right. You want to go start this, Raya? Absolutely. So what a treat for our listeners today, Jeff. We have the wonderful long riders we have sid griffin stephen mccarthy and greg souders here to talk with us today about this amazing hello jeff let me let you know one week out one week already number 12 on the british indie charts this beautiful native sons uh re-release on cherry red records thank yeah. you and welcome hey, thank hey. You guys. nice to be here thanks Oops. guys well, we noticed that the band has had several box sets on Cherry Red Records. Several of them. And, I can but, blame Sid for that. <laughs> we can play. We'll ask Sid about that. But here we are talking about this one. My copy of the three CD re reissue has not arrived yet. I've got tracking information. But Sid, uh, you uh, you already released this on Prima. Um, so there was a there's a version. Um, yeah, go and release an expanded version. But what we like to know is um, when a band releases an expanded edition, um, a time or two, why why do your fans need this particular version that is just released on January nineteenth of this year? Well, it's got the uh, all the demos which weren't on any of the previous reissues of the same record, and it's got a, a live show 
from the D live show that really got us going in Europe, period, much less the UK, from Dingwalls in uh, March of 85. Dingwalls is uh, across, it's about 100, it's about 50 yards from where the old Dingwalls was, but it's a, it's a new venue. It's not, it's not the uh, rat hole the, the other one was. And uh, the other two things that I, I must, I should point out, I don't have a copy to hand, um, is it's a different versions of mass, different version of Masters of War that's on the earlier uh, reissue of Native Sons on Prima Records. And it's a different version of As God Is My Witness that has been out to the public so far. This is the version, I think it's Steven on uh, fuzz tone guitar as opposed to Sneaky Peel, Sneaky Peel, Sneaky Pete on pedal steel. So it's, uh, it's got a, no, those two demos have never been, those two songs have not been out before. And uh, then you have a whole live album and an album of demos and stuff. So it's, there's a lot more to this package than uh, we've ever had the public uh, exposed to. Yeah, you said it better than we would have. We were going to say the same thing, but we we wanted to hear that from you. So Soraya, we're interested in the order that it's being released, right? Yeah, we uh, wanted to ask you all, we noticed that the releases on Cherry Red have been out of the chronological order. Was that intentional or is it just as you're um, compiling demos and other live shows that you've just decided, okay, this is time for this one and then the next one? They had they had the rights to the uh, island stuff first and it took longer to get rights to the uh native sons material so that's all that was no skullduggery just the way it was they didn't have the rights to it now that then it, and then as greg and Stephen well know about f before covid we started working on this and then covid hit us for two years and, and then tom died so it just took forever to get this one out but the only reason is they had the rights to the island material first uh, okay yeah, that's that and to be honest, it's really late great Tom Stevens' uh, Long Rider Swan song, which we didn't really plan it that way. But when Tom decided to move his act to a bigger venue, uh, it just made sense to finally finish this thing. So Tom did a lot of the archives work and the audio stuff and compilation with Sid. And, and then when it got pretty close to where it is now, uh, Stephen and I helped out since there's some great pictures in there, some stuff we hadn't seen for a long time. If for the for the fans, you know, kind of connects to that time and space. A lot of folks we haven't really thought about for a long time show up in photos and and the cover. There's some outtakes from the cover. The great Ed Culver, who's really documented those times in Los Angeles with his photos. He was kind of like the 80s punk rock version of Henry Diltz. He did a lot of LA shots. We worked with Henry, but Ed took that album cover and, and um, you know, the actual cover is a little tip of the hat to one of our, our, our big influences. So you guys can either talk about that or, or guess who it is, you know, for you hardcores, but it was cool to, to, to the, the art concept to go along with the, the audio. It's, otherwise, there's really no reason to do physical stuff. Our fans in, in Europe collect CDs still. It's harder in the U.S. Vinyl seems to work everywhere, but you have to be thoughtful besides the audio sort of Easter eggs and treats is to give some so the, the fans something to look at and hold in their hands. Yeah, I'm one of those fans that like to have something to hold in my hands, whether it be a, a vinyl or CD. Greg, I'm glad that you both have mentioned Tom Stevens because we were wondering, being as this uh, Native Sons was the first record um, that had Tom on it with the band, the first full length release. 
How was it for you uh, as half of the rhythm section with Tom coming in? Did you guys click right away when you started working on the songs for this record or did that uh, that connection develop over time? How was that uh, working with Tom? Well, thank you for asking. You know, Tom was my, literally my brother down there in the engine room. It gets pretty goofy down there by, by design. And, you know, I've got to play with different bass players over the years. And um, the first bass player we had on our on our EP was a guy named Des Brew, a British guy who was great, good singer, good player, but decided he just didn't want to be in the band. He had other stuff to do. So that was sort of a forced exit on our part. He just said, I'm leaving. And he was he was cool. So I had no idea what was out there. We had a, a couple other knuckleheads that made their way through the lineup. And, you know, that's it happens. But when we found Tom, he was he was a mutual pal. We didn't really know him, but we knew people that knew him. And he was working at Tower Records in Los Angeles. So when he came to us, kind of like when we got Stephen McCarthy, it was like, wow, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> Might be better than us. Sid and I always say we're two of the luckier guys in the business. You know, we had <laughs> Stephen and Tom that made us sound and looked a lot better. But Tom, uh, he was a rock and roll player. He had great pop influences and he knew blues. He knew all that stuff, but he was a rock and roll guy at heart. And, and he really could pound out those four on the floor beats. That's the way I like to play. I don't like to make it too complicated. So Tom made me a better, a better drummer by a mile. I like to try to stay on the back beat and Tom always pressed it a little bit. So that kind of um, push and pull thing worked really well. So it kind of let Steven and Sid do their thing on top of it. I'll let you, I'll let them tell you, but him, you know, about him as a singer and a songwriter, because Tom, Tom really could do a lot of different things, but just from that engine room point of view, God darn it, he made me a better drummer. And it was, and we work with Murray Hammond now from the old 97s, who's also a great player, but very different style. Tom just had that, you know, deep gut bucket kind of rock and roll feel that made everything work. Yeah, he, Tom really was, I'll, I'll, Agree with everything you just said. He, I mean, he studied classical music, but he was as good at that as he was as playing, you know, garage rock and roll or or country or, you know, Creedence inspired stuff. And he he was the band's archivist. Like I guess Bill Wyman, what might have been from the Stones. And Tom had all these tapes and rehearsals and shows and outtakes and demos and live things. So it was great that Sid and Cherry Red was able to draw upon his collection with his wife, Elaine, to help us get those tapes. And uh, like Greg said, a swan song, this is his, his last influence on the band there with the, with this release. So it's really touching that he's so involved in that with Sid. Wow, I love that. Stephen, we were curious about the songwriting process. Um, how do, we're especially thinking about like Native Sons, in the early days, I don't know if things have changed. Um, but how how did you guys come up with these songs? W would you would you bring in an idea or fully formed song? How were these songs written? Well, I guess it could be anything in between there. And we've talked about this a little bit in recent times since we've. I mean, Sid's been in England for thirty two or three years. I've been back here for that amount of time. So we've had to rely, well, this is not Native Sons. This is, you know, nowadays we've had to rely on the internet or sending tapes back and forth. The great thing about being in, in Hollywood in those days is that we could ride over to each other's house. Hey, here's an idea. It was 
you might have the majority of the lyrics done for a song, but usually you rely on somebody else for a little bit, you know, chord change here or there, or Greg brings in a beat, or here's a thing left over from his last band, a ska beat that he throws into a song, which really made made us a little bit different than everybody else because we had all these disparate influences of where we came from. Um, so to answer your question, I think it's 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 a mix of things. You know, I might have lyrics to a song and said, go, oh, here's some, some chords for a chorus. So it could, it could go really any any number of different ways. Okay. Not, not one set way to do it. Okay. If that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Soraya? I also wanted to know, I had a question about these co-writing credits, specifically on Run, Dusty Run and Too Close to the Light. Um, so, you know, the, listening to what you just said, Stephen, you know, it was a mix of different processes and steps. And then for those songs where either um, it's a co-write credit or the band credit, like in Too Close to the Light, how did was that again just a mix of different processes or one idea building and then getting together and discussing it and keep going well i'll start off and I'm, the others can join in but a song like too close to the light was probably something that was was a, a the whole band was chiming in because it was something that was done like at a rehearsal and then carried over into the studio and, and i think um uh one of the other ones, yeah, and that was a great way to do it. I mean, if you could do that all the time, that would be the way to do it. You know, if you were a band like the band living in a house, you know, in the Hollywood Hills, and even though they didn't always share all the credits, you know, Robbie might have been the main dude. But once again, there's many different ways to do it, but Too Close to the Light is a great way for a group collaboration, the way that came together. I'll also tell you, um, you mentioned uh, Run, Dusty Run, which... <laughs> That, it's kind of a novelty song that we had, except uh, Sid was gracious enough to put my name next to us. I think it was a mercy co right, as we like to call him. <laughs> I mean, I've always said I'm not, I mean, I'm a drummer and a music poet. I'm a song and dance man. I don't write them. I just play them you know? <laughs> or tell somebody else what to play when I'm feeling cocky. But but that song, I mean, I might have said, hey, Sid, uh, I think June uh, rhymes with moon, uh, but that's about it. You know, he, 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 Sid and Stephen and Tom always brought in great ideas, and and then and then, in fairness, I do get to decide if we're gonna dance fast or dance slow. That's that's usually the the contribution, and uh, or once in a while, you know, when 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 they're starting, it, not so much back then. I was a kid. I was so young, and the, their little brother. I'm the baby. I know I don't look it, but I am. And, uh, uh, but, you know, now as we've grown up, we, we have more input in the studio. We, we work together in a different way and everybody has different ideas, but I really, I'll be honest. And I do work with a lot of different songwriters. Uh, Sid and Steven are two of the best writers I've, I've ever worked with. They make my job a lot easier. And then when Tom threw one into the hat, it was always a lot of fun. So they're pretty good. They don't need my help too much. <laughs> awesome. All right, Sid, I have a question for you. And no disrespect to the long riders, but the birds are my favorite and I think the best American band that ever came out. Um, I in the credits it's noted that Gene Clark um sang on Ivory Tower. I know you guys have spoken about this before, but we'd love to hear the story about Gene Clark coming in. Well, it's uh been told so many times and and uh these past few weeks, I've told it so many times, I've, it's incredible. It's, you know, as I said, 
here goes. Uh, we put out the 10560 EP, and there were those of our crowd in Hollywood and a few of the fanzines of the day that said, oh, there's this band, Long Riders, and they have a, 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 an album out called, a, an EP out called 10560. A lot of it sounds just like the birds, which I don't think then and do not think now that it did sound like the birds. But uh, I heard it so often. I remember at softball talking to Steve. We played softball every Saturday in, in, when we all lived in L.A. And I remember talking to Steve, and I said, why don't we get one of the birds and have a song that sounds just, you know, consciously sounds like the birds so that was ivory tower written by barry shank who was initially in the band and up uh, on bass but des brewer replaced him and uh so that's what happened we had uh, henry diltz knew gene clark and knew him well and so uh, i just i talked to henry about it while we we're doing this ivory tower idea and because uh, we had been playing the song live with Barry, and when Barry left, he was bummed. And I said, "No, we're going to put this song of yours on the album." I, I swear it. And I kept my word. And Henry knew Gene really well, and he got Gene. And I distinctly remember we paid him seventy-five dollars. I mean, I remember that like yesterday. And a six-pack. I paid seventy-five, and I remember. Remember Stephen how hoarse he was when he came in, and he was very yeah. dis. And it's very hard over here in England. He's got a real cult following going, as, as Stephen and Greg well know. And what was odd when I'm asked about it over here is I try and tell people no one gave a monkey's behind about Gene Clark in 1984. Nobody. I mean, he couldn't get arrested. He did an in-store at Aaron's Records on Melrose. And a friend of mine was the only person that went and felt so bad that he talked to Gene for a half hour. And during that half hour in Aaron's Records at Gene's in-store, no one else came up to Gene to have him sign anything. So my friend Bill, well, I don't know if Bill wants his name in this, but he stayed there for a half hour. And I, I like to think in some small way, shining that spotlight on Gene helped his career, but that may just be conjecture, conjecture and hope on my part. But that's what happened. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that story. I know you've shared it multiple times, but I appreciate that um, as a huge Birds fan. Um, can we talk about the five by five sessions? I've read and heard different things about that. Can you guys explain what the five by five sessions were? That is also included on this new reissue. Every one of them can remember, can speak. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. I was hoping somebody, I, I, that one's a little hazier for me. I, I think I may, must be you, Stephen. You're gonna. That, to... Oh God, no! I'm not going to be. <laughs> Is it that? All right, I'm going to guess. Wasn't it because we were going to try and flesh out ten five sixty, make an album out of it? Daddy. That sounds right. Hey Noah. Hey, hey Murray. I Murray's not something. here. Oh, wait, Murray's not here. <laughs> That's Greg. Here. That's Stephen. Hey Greg. Hey Stephen. I know. Uh, if he's practicing bass right now, Murray might be in trouble. That was a ham. <laughs> Hey, you've got the other hat. I just wanted to tell Murray that I got Five Nights at Freddy's VR, and it is such an awesome game. Murray's not here, but someone else is running his picture. Glasses too. Murray's not here. By the way, this is what I look like when I'm after school. I take off the tie, I undo the top okay. button, and I take the things out and stuff. That's how I feel. That's my son. Sorry. Back to Stephen. No worries. We love that. We love yeah, that. I'm, I'm not going to be a, uh, much of any help on this. So tell me well, your story. Uh, we did, I think, did we record those also at A&M? Or did, can we sure. remember what's to That's what I thought, right? And Stephen grabbed Sneaky Pete, who was in the corner yes. working for somebody else. Now, I remember play. that. <laughs> that was the greatest thing about that studio, A&M. Anybody who's watching or listening will, and who was around in those days and going over there. I mean, so many great albums were cut there. 
and you'd see Tom Petty going down the hallway or Neil Young or, or whoever it was. And I saw Pete line out going down the hallway and I said, Pete, um, can you come and play in a song? He goes, well, I got 45 minutes. Can you do a hundred dollars? I said, yeah, not, not a problem. So wouldn't you like to be able to go back and have that, have that happen again? Wow. Yeah, he, people. He, he charges more than Gene Clark did. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. This and is true. He also, if you guys remember at AM, because uh, obviously the A of AM was Herb Alpert, he was always around. You know, it was his yes. job. It was a family business to him. Yeah. And he came into at least one session. He brought us some sweatshirts, like, hey, boys, you know. And, yep. <laughs> And he, and he always had his trumpet with him. It's like, if you need a trumpet, I'm around, you know, often, oh, which we should have got him to play. It would have been cool, but we, you know, we probably didn't even realize how cool it was back then. We were just, you know, trying to not, not mess it up. And, and, you know, Henry Louie was working with us. I don't, I can't remember. It was he, he wasn't producing five by five, right? He was just on, on the name. Uh, I think it was, we were going to try and do it ourselves with that guy, Paul McKenna, who was the engineer. Right, engineer. But Henry Louis, as as some know, you know, he was a, a a great experienced, you know, producer. He had done Flying Burrito Brothers, and he worked with Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell, yeah. I think his story was he'd well, he'd come over uh, during uh, just to escape World War II. He was a refugee, I think, and and had joined the musicians' union. I think as a as a tambourine player, if I remember, just a way to get in you know, and, and around the wrecking crew and all that back then. And I think he played it with the Mamas and Papas a little bit, worked on some of their stuff, but he was great, you know. And and so I will tell you a, a great Henry Louis story. Back in, in my wilder days, you know, might have been known to smoke a jazz cigarette every once in a while between takes and just to get inspired. And and Henry was no stranger to the magical herb. And he he had brought some weed into one of the sessions. and, and One checked. of them. Yeah, <laughs> he had a bag of, and so I smoked. I smoked a little bit with him, and man, I'm not. That was it. I was. It was. It wasn't even standing eight. I was. It was a knockout punch. That that was the end of the drummer for that day, and that was Henry. He was definitely <laughs> had always had a funny little hat on, and he yeah. just did this thing, and and man, he was brilliant. Obviously, super but, nice guy. Yeah, man. He at was, the, at the end of the original uh, Native Sons pressing, some of the European people, we licensed it to. Some of those companies cut it off. At the end of Stephen's song, uh, I Had a Dream, which is my favorite Longwriter song, period. Uh, at the end of that song, we go, blah, and Henry goes, that was died. People yeah. asked me who that was. Yeah, it's, that's it's Henry. Henry. Ah, yeah. Right that's music. also Henry at the beginning of, is it uh, Too Close to the Light? You hear this yes, you hear a, a huge baritone, you know, and that's him kind of growling at the, at the top of that track. Uh, yeah. I don't remember how we said, did you just call him or how did we get him? I don't remember. I don't, you know, it's funny because I, I played uh, Saturday night as a solo and people come up with these same questions and I, I honestly don't quite remember how we got him. I know that Earl Mankey did a good job on the on the first EP, but uh, he was getting really busy and being booked up and we had a couple of questions about all that echo that was on 10.560, no offense to Earl. So we were trying to find somebody else, but how we came up with the name Henry Louis, I don't know. I'm sure I would have leapt on it when I heard Flying Burrito Brothers because I remember that he worked on both the, both the Graham albums. But I don't how, I don't know. Maybe Stephen. By the way, they had also recorded uh, at A and M, so it was all those kind of pieces for us 
because we were always fans as much as players. And so it was exciting for us to have a guy that was part of sort of rock and roll history and working at A&M. Yeah. We were in way over our heads being there, but it, it, he, uh, he, he, Henry, I got there early. You, you all might like this story. I got there early because Henry had a, a diabetic thing happening. He had to have his blood sugar at the the, the right level. So if it went up, if it, he had it went down, he you know do. He, he would buy these rich pastries in the morning, and he would sort of count the calories, and then he eat. And he wouldn't finish the donut, or he'd even buy me some extra ones. So I got there early to eat pastries with Henry many many mornings. And he told me uh, he engineered the Bones House stuff for the fifth. I was Bones House, yes. And the uh, the association, those hits yeah. that you hear from, on '60s radio, Association uh, Fifth Dimension. I'm going to think of some others when we've probably finished this phone call. But yeah, he Henry was he really was the the, the business. Oh, he did Van Morrison's Common One album, which is one of my wow. favorite albums. Wow. Yeah, really talented guy. What great stories he had. He he knew everybody, much and Gene Clark, duh. Ah, amazing. So you guys have mentioned um the Flying Burrito Brothers. Can we talk about the cover? Yeah, that's Stampede by the Springfield. And uh there was a thing going around Costello's Almost Blue as a jazz record by I think Chet Baker and and so on and so forth. There was a thing going on in pop music at the time where people uh, in the know were taking an old album cover that, you know, their, their audience wouldn't recognize and doing a, 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 an homage to it by uh, mimicking it. And uh, there was an article, I think, in the Times or something about this, and it went through like 12 album covers that, while a contemporary act, you you know, and, and it, it's, it's actually a, a mimicry of an album cover that went before. And I thought, well, we can do better than that. The Springfield had an album cover, which stampede was pressed up as an album and destroyed and uh i had the mock cover that they sent out to scholastic with scholastic books i don't oh, know if you know what scholastic yeah, books is yeah. you yeah at your school you, you you picked off the ones you wanted to read and they gave you at a discount because you wanted american school kids to read well they gave scholastic books uh, something like forty thousand of that cover and i had one of them on, on one of my books so i thought well, we'll go this whole trip one better rather than just do a uh an old Miles Davis or uh, so-and-so uh, album cover. We'll do one that didn't even come out. And it was fortuitous that we did do this particular idea because uh, when that album came out, Andrew Loder, who I just spoke to a little while ago, Andrew Loder, Jake Riviera, uh, uh, Chris Difford's brother, Lou Difford, and all that crowd, Nick Lowe Costello at Demon Edsel Zippo Records, that's what caught their eye, the, the cover. And then when they found out we were good, they thought we got to get involved with these guys. And that's how Native Sons really got going in Europe. Actually, it was through the cover as much as the music. Loader wow. said as soon as he saw that cover, he thought these guys got to be hip. So they recognized it as the Buffalo Springfield. Oh, they knew. Yeah, yeah they knew. Which is weird because, you know, how did the Europeans know? It's a it's, it's fairly obscure reference. But but they knew. And, and Andrew Loader told me just, well, not today, but... He told me just a week or two ago, he said, man, that was the, the we got to investigate this band and blah. And that's also how we became known as basically a cover band, if if you remember. So. <laughs> and those guys are very responsible for this record doing what it did, you know. They are. Yeah. Well yeah. said, Stephen. They really are. It really, we had, I think it got, the record got to be, you know, top one or two or indie record. What Meet is his it? murder. 
Meat is murder was in the way, Stephen. Number two, and then yes. Dream, I think, kept number one on the um, indie charts. Yes. Charts. Yeah. Wow. And to this day, when I see Johnny Marr, I haven't seen Johnny Marr since last June. I saw him, and he talks about how much he liked Native Sons, and he says, yeah, yeah. And I, no, he didn't say it. He said how much he liked Native Sons. I said, but you guys were number one with Meat is Murder. He kept us out of the top spot, and he always mm -hmm. sort of makes a sort of a shuddering motion. <laughs> he, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a proper uh, long runner aficionado, Johnny Moore. How about wow. that for drummer's name? Like Great good. guitar player. Speaking he of is a sweet guy, sweet guy. Ah, I'm glad to hear that. So speaking of great guitar players, Stephen, um, I, you, when I say your name, I got to think, Stephen, uh, Sid, I blame you for that. But anyways, somebody Stephen. yelled it out Saturday night. Oh, right. When I played Final Wild Son. Somebody yelled out, Stephen. <laughs> so Stephen, we've been talking about these studio recordings. I had a question for you. I We know that Sid is a great performer, loves to be on stage. How about you personally? Do you prefer the the studio or playing on stage? Well, uh, I think I enjoy both. Uh, playing live, I mean, to get that feedback from the audience and the electricity, the energy, you know, there's no replacing that. So, you know, creating music and recording it is all, equally as cool. But, you know, I would say playing live is probably my favorite because you can really present what you've done, this original music to the audience and get feedback. I mean, they may love it or they may hate it. We used to play... <laughs> We would play, open up for bands like X, you know, in our early days, and the fan, those hardcore fans would be spitting at us and flipping us yeah. off. And, and we felt like, all right, well, we can turn tail and run, or we can hang in there and just lean forward. And and by about, you know, a third of the way into the set, we we kind of got them. And by the end, they're jumping up and down. And they, you know, they don't want to kill us at this point. So <laughs> amazing. You can't, you can't replicate that in the studio. Stephen, do you remember opening for X at the Pomona Valley Pomona that's, Valley Auditorium? That's the one I'm thinking of. <sighs> and John Doe, John Doe was so kind after it was over. He said, "Man, I was really digging it. Six days in the row, but I thought I thought they're going to kill you guys." <laughs> My guitar was wet with saliva. Uh, we came off the that. stage one night. We had we supported that band from Grit and the Alarm quite a bit. They were also really kind to us. We used to call them U3 because they were very, very influenced yeah. by. Very anyway, clever. They, they were great. They let us ride on their bus and they always looked out for us. But we did play, I think it might have been at Rutgers. It was somewhere on the East Coast and it was a rough show. Their fans were not as receptive to us. as. And, and I thought the show had been great because, you know, back on the drums, you're a little bit off the, the front line like these guys have to deal with. And we came off and, and uh, Sid and Stephen and Tom were... A, a little dour and I thought, man, what's wrong with these guys? I said, the whole show was great. The whole time they were all holding up number one. I said, uh, not exactly. It <laughs> <laughs> was a single digit, but it wasn't number one. So Rutgers when they were throwing coins. Yeah. So I don't always have the best view, but I will say, I agree with Steve in the studio is great. It's a very, di in the old days, you know, I would get a little, I always got nervous because it was recording to tape and it was harder to fix mistakes. And if somebody looked at you the wrong way, you had to do the whole fucking song over. And, you know, now oh. it's different with pro tools. And and I think we're older and more mature, so it's it's a different discipline. And, but you have to wait. You know, it's 
the, the moment of recording is great and it's inspiring to make music together, but you kind of have to wait to see if people like it or not. So to be honest, you have to kind of set your compass towards this is the art we made in the moment and people may or may not like it. You know, you have to be okay with that. Live though, you get a you get your report card after every song. You know, they either clap or they don't. Yeah. They either move yeah. around. They either dance or they don't. So it's it it could be frustrating if you're not having a good night. But that energy that Stephen talked about, there's nothing like it. It just come it whatever you put into it, it usually comes back to you tenfold if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, it's very sterile in the studio. It can be if you if you let it take you like that and you know to to get that transfer of energy you know from the microphone on the tape i mean probably the best example i can think of is you know the rhythm and especially the vocal on looking for lewis and clark i mean said is like it's just you know it's on 11 you know he's just it's just burning up the mic and so that's one of the greatest things we've, we've done nice uh, that'll be right. 10 books Sid. <laughs> all right we have a couple of minutes left we have one last question for you guys so all, all of our listeners, please go out and get this reissue. Um, mine's in the mail, so it, hopefully it'll be here soon. So release January 19th of this year, the three CD set. Um, as we've talked about, lots of goodies on it. Um, but our last question, what what's next for Longriders? What can, our, what can your fans expect? Well, well we make another one. We have, mean, have an album. Don't we have half of an album? left over from the last time yes sir and i like all three tracks so i'd like to crack on or a third one and i know cherry red certainly wants one they they've they've asked several times what's in the pipeline and i don't think an ep will cut it i think we should make a record even if we just made like nine songs and added the other stuff to it i think we, we should do it we all we all love making music together so so that's it's it's really just when and where i mean it's the greatest thing we've all especially after we lost tom it's sort of well let's just see it's like an experiment let's see how long we can keep doing this thing and you can't really quit the long riders anymore we had we already went through that you know we came back together yeah. we've been together longer now than than the first run right by, by a long shot and and so you know we we lost tom so we kind of made a deal with each other he can't really quit there's only one way out so to speak yeah. <laughs> and, and and that's okay and now we have murray working with us which is great so we we'll make more music together for sure it's it's really it's great to work with your brothers and and then ideally i think we're going to be out back on the road later this year over in yeah. which is is always they've been so kind to us we love to play in america it's just logistically a little more challenging but that doesn't mean we won't do it we'll there'll be the right time and, and right reason and and we'll play in the u.s too but to steven and sid's point we, we got a little more rock and roll to take care of well i'm i'm it's not news to the band but it's, it might be news to everybody else i'm still working with this guy to take us to japan who wants us to come over but he's got to have the time and the budget so and then david williams is a proper promoter in australia wants us to come over so i'm I'm hoping and praying while everyone's still in good health, we can do Australia and Japan. It's a shame. We've never been to two countries. One that has this, they're big in Japan cult thing that you can make a lot of dough over there and not mean anything in the rest of the world. And two, Australia, which is crazy, like Spain, for guitar bands. Insane we haven't been to those two places. Wow. I hope yeah. that happens. Yeah. yeah we All are, right, you guys. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was I was just gonna. I'm just agreeing with Greg. We are lucky to have Murray Hammond. I mean, his his band, the old '97s. They're about to release a new album, but 
in between their tours, we are going to get back out there and play. So thank you, Murray. Thank uh, you, Murray. All right, you guys, we really appreciate the godfathers of alt country. We we're going to ask you about that, but we're running out of time. But anyways, we thank you guys so much for coming on. And for all of our listeners, please go get this three CD reissue from Cherry Red Records. Get it now. Um, again, we thank, we thank all three of you guys for coming on. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, right. Jake and Soraya. Yep. Thank you. I've enjoyed thank it. You. We yeah. appreciate it. You guys take care. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Right. Hey, Jeff. Yes. Uh, did you ever think any conversation on our podcast would include a reference to scholastic books? No, but I don't know if you saw that. About six weeks ago, I posted on my personal Facebook page. Um, I had pulled that up for some reason. I don't remember why, but those were good memories from me, the scholastic book catalogs. So I posted that on my page about six weeks ago. So it's funny that that actually came up. So hysterical. Um, look, we got, to, first of all, I can't, there's never enough time to speak with Sid Griffin, Stephen McCarthy, and Craig Souders. No. Never enough time. We had so many more questions that we could. Oh my gosh. But let me tell you, I absolutely love that conversation with the three of them. And I can only imagine if we had been able to continue what else we would have seen. Let me see. We got we got information about, obviously, about this re-release. Some great anecdotes. A visit from a family member. <laughs> um, and this wonderful setup for more music and tours that can reach some very faraway places that where there are fans ready, willing, and able to, and, and hungry for the band to show up. Very much so. And I loved, I loved, I loved what Greg Souter said at the end. He said, Stephen, Sid, and I, we got a lot more rock and roll to do. <laughs> yeah. A lot more rock and roll to take care of. I love that. That, yeah. that gave me all the, all the joy, all the happiness. Yep. Um, and there's only and one I, way. There's only one way out of Long Riders at this point. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, it reminds me of uh, you know, I, well, I I don't think you would know the the movie Blood in Blood Out, but it's like oh. like being in a gang. There's only one way out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, this re-release on Cherry Red. Think about all the extras that were added on. And. I found it very heartwarming that the three of them said this was, this is really finishing the project. It was really Tom Stevens' swan song. Anyone who knows, and I mean, we we had the great fortune to speak with Tom yes. more than once yeah, uh, on the podcast, but anyone who's familiar with his body of work, with him as a musician, they know how much of a detail-oriented archivist Tom was not only of Longwriter's music and his own projects, but of other things too. I mean, how did how did we get to know this bit about Tom was how much of a completist he was for the last. Yes, yes. And um, so we we're really familiar with how much 
heart, soul, thought went into the things that he archived and the files that he shared. I mean, you know, he was super generous with you and with so many people that we know of just sharing a lot of um, shows and files and things. Um, I absolutely love that they completed this beautiful piece of work with so much that was added on. And I thought it was very poignant where Greg said, not only is there thoughtfulness about the things that we selected, the audio, but there was we had to be thoughtful about giving the fans something to look at and mm -hmm. hold on to. And I think with projects like this, like re-releases, when the band can share that passion and say, we put thought into it, we've added into it, and this is really a more complete version than what you've ever had. I mean, because we all know the album, right? We all have it. You have it, I know, sitting right next to you. Yes. But when they've added in all these beautiful pieces, and Cherry Red, I think, has been very very good at honoring the vision of the band i mean how can you not love it yeah exactly yeah and so none of these exist without tom stevens no nope. right so i i don't know i didn't think of that before they started talking about that but the fact that that this project native sons and it makes sense because tom did all this that 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 was a project that he started too so um that was really cool to hear so again tom's swan song and thank you to elaine stevens too yes, they did mention that it was thanks to not only tom but his wife yes elaine stevens so thank you to elaine too for yeah. for her input and helping helping the band finish this project yeah it's just great oh yeah, my gosh there's, I have so many notes. Uh, how would you feel about Herb Alpert just kind of popping in, give it, dropping off, yeah. <laughs> dropping off some sweatshirts? Yeah, it's like, hey, boys, if you need a trumpet, I'm, you know, I'm always around. Right. Yeah. And in hindsight, it sounds like uh, they regret that they didn't take advantage of that. But I'm thinking, no matter what kind of song I have, yeah, I need trumpet on this song. If it's her, if it's Herb Alpert standing right behind my back, like. You know, in the story about Gene Clark, I mean, it's a well-known story, but absolutely, and I, I, I like the way that Sid tells it. But one of the things that I really tip my hat to, to the long writers, and really, you know, to to Sid, uh, you know. First of all, we need to find out more about these softball games that happen on Saturdays and who they were against, but. Yes. Can you imagine just like going out to play a game and go, hey, you know what, Stephen? I think uh, everybody says we sound like the birds. I think we need to bring a bird uh, and, and just have a track with that guy. Like, I love that sort of thought process of uh, they say we're already sounding like, let's really sound like it. <laughs> and then reaching out to Gene Clark and Gene, what is it? 75 bucks and a six pack. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, great. And then what was it? Uh, uh, Sneaky Pete was a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks, yeah, <laughs> right. So it's just there are all these stories, and there's all this. There's so much more. There's so much more, and it really makes me happy when I hear them say, or or to hear like Stephen say, when there's nothing better than playing live, and Lewis and Clark is like, 
is that Sid's cranked up to 11 and it's just the crowd's in and we're in and it's, he said, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, I just love hearing them all talk about playing, playing together and wanting to do more of that. Playing together, creating an album. This is a great band. And Jeff, you've said it often. If we're going to talk Paisley Underground, we're, we have to include the Long Riders in the discussion. In my opinion, yeah. And that was one of the questions that I had that at the bottom of my list, um, my, the second half. So I had my questions that I definitely wanted to get in and then the, the ones at yeah. the end that... Um... I mean, in 40 minutes, we, we they were gracious enough to give us 40 minutes. And That's... I mean, we just, we hit like the the key questions that we wanted to make sure that we asked and then we had a whole bunch more yeah. and we and you know we coyly said oh if we have time <laughs> but yeah no the stories were so good I'm so glad we got to these yeah. and um I'm I'm looking forward to what the band is going to give us next yeah absolutely yep. I'm really looking forward to it me too me too oh Soraya be- before we say goodbye yeah. what about Long Riders opening for X and Pomona and Steve's saliva covered guitar. <laughs> that is something that's blowing my mind. Yeah. Right. Blowing my mind. The crowd wasn't on it. And, and what about the anecdote about John Doe? I was totally digging it for six nights. I thought they were going to kill you, but right. I was in it for six nights. Yes. Holy crap. What an. And I'm just like, I'm thinking of. That early version of X, just ridiculous insanity. And then you've got Long Riders and Long Riders who really couldn't give, uh, what was the phrase that Sid used? He couldn't give a monkey, people couldn't give a monkey's behind. Yeah. Jim Clark is, they're like, we're going out. We're going out. <laughs> and we're, not only are we going to go out, we're going to convert you all. And, you know, for Stephen said, yeah, my guitar was covered in saliva, but the crowd was in it. The one finger salute. <laughs> the number one. The Not number that one. finger. <laughs> there are so many good stories that this man has to share. And really, I'm not exaggerating. I think someone needs to just sit down with a record, a tape recorder, press play or press record and just say, just start spitting them out. Now, I will find, I, I do find pretty interesting that no one seems to have recollection of the the five by five the five 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 sessions yeah so or, I, or what was it uh that steven said uh that's a little hazy yeah hazy mem- we have hazy memories of that yeah so, so there's a version of the five by five on here and then on the, the new one i think I think the five songs might be a little bit different i don't know the way right. they're repeating it but i've read different things and um, there were questions. Some of my friends had questions about the five by five. So they're like, make sure you ask about that. But um, I think Tom was probably the resource maybe to have more right. information on that session. But either way, I'm glad that we're doing what we're doing with the people that we're doing this with Soraya. So we are able to get some answers to some of these things that and might get lost in the future. Um, look. It, we're we're seeing it right we're living in the moment where um and it's already happened to us more than once where we've had people on and 
you know, and then they're not here to talk, to speak for themselves anymore. And I'm just so glad that we have recordings of this time with them. Absolutely. Um, but uh, I do want to mention, I I wasn't aware that that um, the the songs where we have different versions. Oh yes, Witness and Masters of War. That um, I really did not realize that I didn't either. Uh, these were different versions. So I'm uh, I'm much more intrigued than I you know I mean. I still want it. Mine's in the mail too, but yeah. um, now, now I, now I want to hear this different version. I, I do want to hear it. So yeah, for sure. Jeff, there's just never enough time, never enough information. Huh. And I will say, there's only one of us here that's been knighted by the one and only Sid Griffin. I like that. You, I like that you remind me that our guitar. Only one of us has been knighted, and that's you. So I don't know. We got a lot more rock and roll to do, too. Yes, we do. I don't do anything. Jeff does it all. But This is rock and roll. Yes. <laughs> one finger salute, everybody. Number one. <laughs> Number one. Absolutely. But yeah, thank you so much to the long riders, to Sid Griffin, Stephen McCarthy, and to Greg Souders. And hopefully there will be another opportunity for us to sit and chit-chat with them again. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Let's hope so. Oh boy, Jeff, I don't want to say so, but I think we got to end it. So, mi gente, agrubiar. Groove on, Paisley people. Don't give the one finger salute. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Greg. Hey, dude. How are you? Good. Good. I'm having a little audio freak out, but we're good now. Yeah. So I looks like Sid is here, but I don't see any. He says that he's connecting to the audio, so it might just be. He's going to be the uh, Zoom call. That's, it's like a figure of a cat shows up. <laughs> That's right. You know, I'll be meeting with Murray for lunch on Sunday, so I'll let him know that. Really. I'll let him know that Noah says hi. So yeah, I'll be <laughs> tell him that like Noah says hi. <laughs> tell him that the practice is based. Steve and I are going to have some new tunes. I don't know later this year. We'll do. We'll do. All right, you guys, take care. All right, loves this band. All right. And Noah loves this band. Noah loves this band, as he should. <laughs> take care, guys. Thanks again. All right. My son loves those two guys. Three guys. Steven, oh, this is thank great. You. I'm sorry we haven't gotten that together, but. We will make it happen if you still want to do it. We do. Yes. We definitely yes. do. Okay. Please. All Thanks right. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.